I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine, the show that takes you inside the working day of some of the world's most successful authors. Now this week, our guest is B.A. Paris. Her new novel is a kind of psychological thriller, but apparently not really a standard psychological thriller. Uh, She calls it more of a family drama. It's called The Dilemma. Now it's set over the course of just one day, taking you through the story pretty much hour by hour. And she talks us through the decision of why she did that, uh, and also how structuring a story like that affected the way that she plotted it. We also talk about her working year and how much that is now changing as she kind of gets more and more prolific. Uh, And we also talk about how much she actually wants to get done in her working day. I don't really have a word count. I find that, you know, quite stressful when you look on Twitter and people say, I've done 5,000 words today and you're thinking, crumbs, I've done about 100. Because I might spend, I mean, there are days when I'll write four or 5,000, but there'll be other days when I will spend the whole day writing and literally I will just maybe do two pages because I'm trying to get them exactly right. You know, I'll just keep going over them because I know they're not right. And I love that. I love the fine tuning. So I'm not that interested in, you know, thinking I've got to do so many words a day because I know that for me, it's it's just about being happy with what I've done that day rather than the number of words I've done. So loads more on the way just like that in this week's Writer's Routine with B.A. Paris. Yes. Hello, welcome along. Uh, my name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, the show where we try and steal some of the scheduling secrets from some of the world's greatest authors and have a proper sneak peek, a real in-depth look into their working day. Uh, now listen, uh, I'm in my kitchen today, so it might be a little bit more echoey than usual. So I'll, I'll try and get this bit over and done with just in case the myriad of clatters and clashes and just utter chaos of London uh, seeps into your ears. So sorry about that, but we'll get moving. Uh, yeah, this week we're with B.A. Paris. I think it's it's Bernadette's fourth book. Uh, interesting story. She grew up in the UK, then she moved to France for work before she moved back to the UK to start writing, which I imagine is directly in contrast to certainly the direct opposite really to certainly what I and I reckon probably even you would would ideally do I mean come on you'd escape to France to write right um she's sold uh, she's been sold in 37 countries her new book is The Dilemma 
Uh, and I actually caught up with her on the publication day. So there was kind of a lot of buzz all about it online. It was going great guns on Twitter and she was just so excited to tell me all about it. This is the, uh, the blurb for it. Uh, it's Livia's 40th birthday. She's having the party of a lifetime to make up for the wedding that she never had. But during the day, her husband, Adam, hears some terrible news. He needs to tell Livia that uh, how can the party go on without her knowing. But she's so happy. She's so excited. And the guests are just about to arrive. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, so you can see by just that quick synopsis how it would work as a story that you're taken through hour by hour. And we find out how that meant Bernadette needed to plot kind of more than she ever really normally does and, and how it kind of changed the way that she tells her stories. We also take a deeper dive into the difference between uh, plotting and pantsing, two ideas that we love so much on this show, the way different people work. Do they thoroughly set it out? Do they fly by the seat of their pants? We have a, a, a good chat with Bernadette all about that. And even though we're focusing on the new one, The Dilemma, it's an odd thing, right? When I'm catching up with authors about the books that they're publishing then, they've usually written it about two years before and they're halfway through writing another one. So you always get this strange hybrid of the stories that they really want to tell you about in their brain. And it kind of overlaps in this one. Bernadette was in the middle of writing a, a mystery fifth book. So I really hope it's not that confusing when we flip between the two, the mystery fifth one, and the dilemma, which is really there to tell us about. But I hope you carry on with it because I think it's really worth it. There's some incredible nuggets in this one. Uh, we need to get into it first, though. So let's do it. And we start, as always, with B.A. Paris. Uh, and we start with the place where she sits down to write. The trouble is I often write on my bed or in my bed. So my view is probably the bathroom door. But um, we've recently moved to a house in the country and I have a little sitting room downstairs and I put a desk in front of the window and across the way all I can see is this beautiful field where there's often pheasants and partridges depending on the time of the year and it slopes up into a little wood and it's just beautiful so I see all the seasons you know changing and it's absolutely lovely. Inside the room not outside the window what is there to inspire you? Are you looking at uh, hundreds of book line shelves have you got art on the walls anything to kind of keep you going no I have my books behind so I have um, a library behind some shelves with lots and lots of books on it but I don't really need any inspiration I'm just really focused when I'm writing so um, no I don't have anything to inspire me at all it's just my imagination is there any plot inspiration though for you so uh, a whiteboard perhaps with no. so you know what's oh, going no. on post-it notes absolutely not nothing nothing no notes I never take notes I never have a, I don't have a whiteboard I don't have spreadsheets um, I never I know this is awful to say and there's authors who say I don't believe it but I don't plot I just start writing I have an idea for my story um, I have the opening scene I'll start writing that and of course if I plot it's in my head I'll think a lot about my story because I'll always I'll always be editing maybe my previous book while I'm thinking about the next book so I've probably plotted quite a lot in my head before I start writing but there's no notes there's nothing and I just start writing and I love it and I don't know where my story's going and uh, well I usually have my end but for example I've just written my fifth book just finished it and all the way through I didn't know who the murderer was so I had a possibility of two characters and I thought well actually I'm just going to let them kind of fight out for themselves and see which one wins and it was great and I only knew really in the last couple of chapters but it works it works for me. Let's talk about the day and we'll talk about the year I think because you um 
You're getting into the stage of being quite prolific. How many pub books have you published now? Um, well, this is going to be my fourth one that comes out in January. And you so just finished writing your fifth I've one? I've just finished writing my fifth, yes. So you're getting into that stage I of... I am, yes, of you know, doing one book a year, I hope, although I didn't have one out last year. But um, yes, I want to get back into that routine of having a book out a year. So I think we'll talk about the writing year as well. I'm fascinated. But let's stick to the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what the show's named after. So talk me through yours. The moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are sat down to write, how, how is it looking every hour? What, what's going on? Okay, so if it's um, a day that I know when I can spend the whole day writing, it's my favourite kind of day. And so I'll wake up probably about 7.30 and my laptop goes straight onto my knee in the bed and I'll start writing. I'll start reading over what I wrote the day before. And then I'll get up and go down to the writing room and then literally I'll sit there until somebody brings me a cup of coffee. So if my husband's not around, I won't actually lift my head up till maybe four in the afternoon. But for me, it'll be 11 in the morning. I won't realise that I've written for six hours at a stretch. And I just love that feeling. And then I'll suddenly feel hungry or thirsty. And I think, oh, gosh, it's three or four o'clock in the afternoon. So I'll have my break. I'll get a cup of coffee and just go straight back to writing. I'll write until probably six or seven in the evening. Then I might have something to eat. And then when I go to bed, I'll start writing again. And I'm a very bad sleeper. So if um, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning, as I often do, I'll just write again then. Because you're so much a pantser you're not really plotting at all have you learned any tricks along the way or rather what tricks have you learned along the way that help you go back to it the next day uh, picking up the full force of your plot and running with it mm, as I say that you know I always read over what I wrote the second day just to remind me the day before sorry just to remind me of where I am in my novel and um, you know during the night I'll have thought a lot of, you know I think of, I think about my book my story the whole time It's always there in my head, even when I'm talking to other people. You know, half of me is away with my book, thinking of where my story's going. So I always know. And on the rare occasions where I think, "Mm, not sure what's going to happen next, I'll just go for a walk and think about my book while I'm walking and then come back and tackle it again. It sounds fantastic. It sounds too easy. I know, it, it, it does sound easy, but that's the only way I can do it. Um, a lovely friend of mine, author friend, said, you know, I do a spreadsheet and she sent me her spreadsheet so I could see how to do it. And, you know, she had chapter one, he says this, she says this, this is the conclusion of the chapter. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is how I have to write. This is the way everybody tells me I should write, I should be plotting. And I tried, but I thought, I actually don't know what's going to happen in chapter two. And I didn't want to think too much about it. I do just like the writing to flow I've got I rely heavily on my imagination you know and as I say I think about my book the whole time so it's always there in my head how, how hard does it get at some points though you mentioned that you might start writing at 10 o'clock in your writing room uh suddenly it's four o'clock but mm-hmm. for you only an hour has, mm-hmm. has gone how, how surely it can't be you know that much of a steam train your fingers are just tapping away with no challenges there's no roadblocks to you at all no I can actually do that it's not of course there are some hard days there's some days when I actually don't feel like writing and often about halfway through my book I hit a wall and I think well I've done half the book but actually I'm not sure I'm happy with it or I don't know whether I can carry on with this and but that goes you know so um I suppose it does come quite easily to me, writing. I mean, I do just love to write. I just love to sit down. Uh, You know, they're my best days. As soon as I can get my computer on my knee, my laptop on my knee, I'm off writing. So, If you were to try and analyse the difference between perhaps you and and another author, maybe your author friend who 
needs a, a timeline, a spreadsheet w- with minute details of what's going on. Why do you think you tell your story, for better or worse, in a completely different way to someone else? What's going on there? I don't know. I think everybody just has an individual uh, way to write. And neither of them are, be- you know, there's not one that's better than the other. It's just what works for that person. And I think maybe there's some writers that like to know exactly where their story's going. So that the moment they sit down to write, they can actually knock out their book quite quickly because they just refer to their notes and their spreadsheet and they know exactly what's going to happen. So it's not me saying, oh, what shall she say next or, you know. Um, so maybe, you know, they because they spend so much time plotting, they can actually write the book really quickly after. But I find that my story changes. I might have an idea. I might think, well, this is going to happen at the end or, you know, she'll say this. And then, in fact, when I start writing, it'll be something completely different. And I really enjoy that. I really like not knowing where my story's going I don't like to know too much about what's going to happen. I like to know that I've got a really good beginning and I usually like to know the end. I know how it's going to end. It was only for this last book, that, I, as I said, book five, that I didn't really know how it was going to end. But usually I've got my beginning and I've got my end and I've got a couple of points on the way and the rest is just a journey. And so, you know, I like really not knowing. I, I don't have a good idea. I know who my characters are, but I don't know them very well when I start writing. And I just get to know them as as I write. They develop. And, of course, they become different people to how maybe I imagined them, which is why I don't like to plan too much. How does that make the edit, then? If, if quite often your character has had wholesale changes, page 350 to page 1... How does that make that edit? Of course, yes, absolutely. I do do quite a lot of editing. Sometimes I'll put something in, you know, three quarters of the way through the book and I'll have to go back and, you know, because it has a knock-on effect, obviously, up the book. But I I enjoy that. I don't mind that. I love kind of plotting it all out and going back and correcting things. I, I enjoy editing. I love editing. I love my edits. When I get edits from my agent or editor it's another thing you know you just think no I'm not doing that and then, <laughs> they must be wrong <laughs> yeah and then after a while you think well actually they're right you know but I love editing myself I love self-editing I really enjoy that stripping out the bad bits and even things that I've written that I love and I'm looking at them and think I want to keep that in there but I know it's not adding to the story I know it's not moving the story on so you know I just get rid of it that's interesting moving the story on is that how do you see your books I think this is this is you know, a little off topic. It just It's quite hypothetical, I think. What is the purpose of one of your books? Is it just is it just to get through the plot as kind of as efficiently as you can? No, I, I think the purpose of my book, I just like to I just want to entertain. It's entertaining people. It's it's all about somebody sitting down with maybe one of my books and just not being able to put it down and just reading it maybe in a few hours or the, over the weekend and saying, well, that was a great book. And that is my mission, I think, when I set out to write. It's not to rush through the book as quickly as possible. You know, I will spend a long time tweaking it just to make sure that I've got it right. And, of course, you never really get it right because as soon as it goes off to be printed, you're thinking, oh, I should have done this or that, you know. So, well, I, I don't know. I'm As a writer, I'm never fully happy with what I put out there. There's always tweaks that I think after I could have done. But the beauty is once it's gone to be printed, you can't touch it. So, I think we'll get into some quite perhaps boring minutiae of actually storytelling. Um, you say that you just want people to keep writing, reading. Maybe they're just going to sit there and, you know, crack through it in a pub, mm-hmm. in a, in a cosy pub on Sunday afternoon. What 
tricks are you using? Have you learned how to use as a writer to make sure that people are carrying on? Away from the plot, more in mm -hmm. terms of telling the story. Mm -hmm. I think, yes, as I say, you have to keep that pace going throughout it. Um, you know, it has to have a good pace. What I want people to do is they get to the end of the chapter and they think, I'll just read this chapter and then I'll put the book down and go make myself a cup of tea. But actually, at the end of the chapter, they think, I'll just read another one and I'll just read another one. And I think that is, you know, you have to... I think quite carefully about the endings of my chapter. I like to try and not exactly a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter because that's not possible, but just leave it so that you, you know, the reader wants to know what's going to happen next. And they might think, oh, I can't go make that cup of tea because I just need to know. You're depriving the whole country of cups of tea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, speaking of cups of tea, I think lastly on the day, uh, I mean, you, it sounds like a steam train, as I say, you just kind of wind you up and then it, it, it cracks on. But are there any little quirks, things that you need that just help your day go? Maybe a, you know, a cup of tea at a certain time, a particular piece of music playing in the background, a certain pen. What, what, what is it for you? Um, just my laptop and me, really. Um, I don't even need tea or coffee. I mean, if somebody brings me one, if my husband brings me a cup of coffee, actually, he usually comes back an hour later and finds it stone cold <laughs> because I won't drink it. But no, I mean, yes, I do like to have some chocolates next to me, but I don't you know, I'm just very focused on my writing. But I don't want people to get the impression that every day I get up and do this. It's not at all true. I have bad days like everybody else where, um, you know, I just don't feel like writing. Or I have days when I can't write because I've got so, much, so many other things to do. If I go to visit my parents-in-law, for example, I'm not going to write when I'm spending three days with them. So, you know, I'm not, it's not an every day I have to write every day kind of thing. When you are locked in to get a final draft to a, a publisher by a certain date how many days do you like to try and write a week how many words do you like to try and get down per day um I don't really have a word count I find that you know quite stressful when you look on Twitter and people say I've done 5,000 words today and you're thinking crumbs I've done about 100 okay. because I might spend I mean there are days when I'll write four or five thousand but there'll be other days when I will spend the whole day writing and literally I will just maybe do two pages because I'm trying to get them exactly right you know, I'll just keep going over them because I know they're not right. And I love that. I love the fine tuning. So I'm not that interested in, you know, thinking I've got to do so many words a day because I know that for me, it's it's just about being happy with what I've done that day rather than the number of words I've done. We spoke about the edit earlier on. How much are you fine tuning as you're going? I've chatted to other authors who refer to the first draft as, as the dirty draft or the vomit draft to just get it out there. Are you a bit more particular than that? Mm, I think my draft is, is pretty good because, as I say, I'm self-editing the whole time. So each morning I will go back and read what I did the previous day or the previous two days before and fine-tune that. So my first draft is probably, you know, in quite a good... I couldn't... I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I couldn't just knock out something that isn't almost... Well, not perfect, but, you know, isn't of kind of good quality, good enough quality for me. I wouldn't be able to do that. If you are self-editing as you go, uh, without being too self-critical uh, and giving away, you know, letting us too much behind the curtains, what are you picking up on that you notice that you are doing that perhaps little uh, holes that you're falling into every day that you are constantly having to re-edit? Mm, well, there's things like repetition, which is quite, you know, that, that happens quite a lot. You'll use the same word in, within about three lines or something. So, you know, I'm getting more and more aware of that. And just trying to make the speech natural. Sometimes I'll read out loud and I'll think, mm, you wouldn't actually say it like that. You know, there's a big difference when you write. And so a tip that somebody gave me was always read your stories out loud. And I find that 
a really good idea. So, um, you know, often I will read a whole chapter out loud and then I'll pick up on little things there. Or, you know, it just might be something that hasn't fitted into the story well, so I'll have to edit it out. We've spoken about the day. Let's try and focus on the year. Now, you mentioned that you would kind of like to publish one a year. You've skipped a year, but you've just finished your your, your fifth. Um, can you take me through a, a, how a writing year looks for you? So when you've handed in the final draft mm-hmm. um, of, of one book, mm-hmm. what happens the next day? When are you starting to write your next book? How are you getting the ideas for that story? How does it look? Okay, um, well... When I hand in the final draft, I've already been working on my next book because there's this big gap. When you send your your first, for example, when I first send my first draft off, there'll always be a gap of about maybe two, three weeks, maybe four weeks before I get any edits back or get any reaction to that. So in that time, I already have started thinking about my next book and started that. And then, so you've always got two books on the go because you'll get your edits back for that book and you'll... Then so you'll interrupt your the book that you're now writing to do the edits on that, and then they'll go off, and then you'll go back to the book you're writing, and you'll do a bit more work on that, and then you'll have more edits to do, and so it's an ongoing thing for about four months, I would say. You're writing your new book and also working on the book that's going to be published, so there's never that gap really. Although as I've just finished my fifth one and will be sending that off, um, I'm going to take a break over Christmas. So I won't start my next book until January, February time, January. Well, well, let's try and investigate that. I know that we're, we're here to talk about the, the fourth book, which is out in January when this should go out, which is The uh-huh. Dilemma. But so, it, you know, kind of the timeline's all up in the air. But anyway, so you, you finished your fifth book. Mm-hmm. When will you start thinking? So you're going to have the break over Christmas. Have you an idea for the sixth one? You don't need to tell me what it is. Um, no, not really. But then... Um, you know, I do have a couple of books that I started and put aside for some reason, for one reason or another. And I might be looking at those, you know, I've done 10,000 words on those, mm. um, and which I put aside for various reasons. And I might have a look at those and see if I can, you know, rework one of those and bring it up to scratch. And uh, if not, hopefully over Christmas, I'll have a completely new idea. But I do have ideas. I have an idea for a book that I really want to write, but I don't want to write that for another couple of years yet, because it'll mean an awful lot of research. And I'd rather wait a bit. So, you know, I have books in my mind that I want to write, but I'm not sure I want to write them just yet. If you were to start writing in in February, when would you hope to get that first draft done? Quite a Um, polished first draft as it is. Yeah, I would say by July. By July. Um, And and you generating ideas over Christmas. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well... All my books have always started with something that's happened to me or a friend. or So something <coughs> will just happen. Um, for example, the book I've just written, book five, it starts with we've just moved into a village. So mine starts with a housewarming party because I thought, well, we might have a housewarming. And what if this happened? And so that was, I thought, great, I can use that as the start to my next book and as I say I've got very vivid imagination so I'm always you know expecting the worst or or thinking this could happen and it was the same for bring me back and for the breakdown both times um, you know for bring me back uh, I was traveling through France with my husband we stopped at one of those um, isolated picnic spots he got out of the car to go off to the loo and I was on my own in the car and I thought what would happen if he came back and I was gone and so that gives that's that's the start of my next book. So you know it's um, it's it's usually something. To, I'm hoping over Christmas for lots of inspiration that something will happen. And I think, oh gosh, that could be, you know, the start of book six. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We got loads more with BA Paris in just a sec. I, I thought I'd very quickly interrupt today's interview, though. Just, just to quickly give you another push towards our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. If any of the almost 90 interviews with some of the world's best authors that we've brought you has given you any tips that help the way that you tell your stories, uh, please do pay it back. Say thank you by leaving what you can. Just a dollar or so a month really goes a long way uh, over on our Patreon. You get some merch for your troubles as well, bookmarks, badges, that kind of stuff, and it just really helps go a long way. Um, helps me meet authors, helps me buy them coffees, helps me buy new tech. I understand the irony of me saying new tech when I'm recording this in my flat, but we'll we'll push on. Um, just, yeah, it helps me bring you these episodes as quickly as I can. It goes such a long way, and it, it just means so much the fact that you enjoy us enough um, to, to help us out. It's, it's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. I'd love for you to get involved and just for you to help us out in any way that you can. Right, let's get back into it then. With this week's guest sharing her writer's routine, we have B.A. Paris. In this half, we talk about why she started writing her new book, The Dilemma. We hear more about the first glowing ember of that idea that she had. And also when she had the idea, why she then decided to twist it, why she put her own spin on it. And we also figure out why, uh, as a, a psychological thriller, which she is normally she made the departure to write this family drama and it's all really because the idea for the story just kept getting in the way. This is a, a bit of a departure for me because it's not really a psychological thriller. So I was very lucky that this was a book I really wanted to write. Um, it's, it's, it's not a psychological thriller in the sense that there's murders and that sort of thing. Um, but it was a book that I wanted to write for quite a while and everything I tried to write as my fourth psychological thriller, this book kept getting in the way. And I was very lucky that my editor in the US and my editor here both said, OK, go and write this one, even though it's not quite a psychological thriller. So, of course, there are elements of my writing there, I hope. It's very suspenseful, but it's more of a family drama. It's, it's more based on a couple. The whole story takes place on one day. And there's going to be a party in the evening for Livia, for my character. 
And it's a party that she's been looking forward to for years because it's her big birthday. She's going to be 40 and she's been wanting this one day that's for her for so long. And um, it's all about a secret that she has, which she's not going to tell her husband until after the party's over. But then her husband, Adam, on the day of the party, hears some terrible news. And it's all about how far would you go to give the person you love the last few hours of happiness? Because what you know, what you want to tell them, you know it's going to change their life forever. Let me take you back right before that. When you said, you know, you really wanted to write this story for quite a long time. Why? What was the very first idea that you had for what became the dilemma? Um... I heard a couple of cases where, you know, there was some terrible news in the family and um, I've always, because I've got five children and my husband used to travel a lot, I always used to think, if something happened to one of my daughters, how would I tell my husband? If he was abroad, would I let him get home first before telling him? Would I say, would I make it out to be less serious than maybe than it was and say, look, there's a problem, can you come home? But not actually tell him. You know, there's, I've always been kind of fascinated about that gap in time between one person hearing bad news and having to tell the person they love that news, knowing it's going to change their life forever. And that's what I wanted to explore with this book. So what did you do? So what fascinates me about this book, as you say, it's, it's in one day, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. If you're not plotting, if you are pantsing, I would find that would be an, an incredibly hard way to write, as in, because you've almost got to break it down hour by hour, minute, minute by minute. And, mm-hmm. and to not do that on a, on a giant spreadsheet is just quite baffling to my mind, really. So um, when you've got to distill all that to one book, or rather expand it, I would imagine, how are you doing that? When you sit down, so you've got this vague idea of, I wonder what happens, what would happen if, if, if you were trying to keep a secret from someone for a day. Mm-hmm. What what do you know about your story, about this particular story when you did sit down to write? This one I knew I knew a lot about it. I've thought about this a long time. As I say, it was very it's very close to me. So it was a book I really wanted to write. Um and so I'd thought a lot about it. So I actually knew, you know, I knew what was going to happen in this book. I mean I didn't have it written down, but it was in my head. Mm. My spreadsheet is in my head. And um and so, you know, I knew it was going to start with a couple waking up in the morning and then it was just going to be an hour and an hour by hour. Um, story of their day and what happens when and I knew what was going to happen at more or less each hour you know and it's quite hard actually when you're writing a story in a day because you have to keep the story moving Mm. so that means that every hour something has to happen so it's the busiest day ever yes and something you know there has to be something interesting in each so it's broken up into um, you know hours so each chapter is one Mm. hour and it's told by uh, first by Livia and then by Adam so it's their view of their day what's happening what's happening to them during that hour. And also what's interesting, you mentioned earlier about how you get to know your characters. Mm. Does the fact that this is over a much shorter time scale completely change that? Because it's not like someone can go, it's not like Livia can be, you know, whole swathes different No. one day to the next. No. I mean, I did write a first draft and, you know, it wasn't a particularly good first draft. I wrote it really, really quickly in about four weeks. And... Um, Adam changed enormously in my, when I started writing again, you know, when I started looking at the story again, um, because it was really important to me that people like my characters in this book. You know, I'm not so concerned in, in my other books, and of course, in my first book, I don't expect anybody to like Jack, but it's important for me in this book that people really like my characters and see where they're coming from and understand, especially Adam, and, you know, I just really wanted to, to get him right. So, 
you know, that took a long time. That took, that was quite difficult. As I was writing the book, you know, in each chapter, you know, he was developing along and I really had to look at him and, and work hard on his character to, to make him, to make him likable and to make people see where he was coming from. That was more difficult. Why do you believe perhaps in earlier in your earlier writing of the story, maybe in your first draft, mm-hmm. it, he wasn't that likeable. What was going on there? I think he was a completely different person. Um, he was, I was very much, for me, it's very much Adam's story. And I think that was the problem. It was very linear. It was really his story. And and it was my agent who said, you know, it's, you need to bring Livia into it. She needs to have her story too. And it's so much, you know, it's a much better book now. But because of you know, stories I'd heard, the, the, the couple of stories that I'd heard and that knew, I knew of when people had received bad news. And it was really very much the husbands that uh, um, I knew about in these situations and um, who had to give bad news to their wives. So for me, you know, I really wanted to write Adam's story and I made the mistake of just excluding Livia more or less at first and then realising, you know, that I had to bring her in. So when you've made that realisation, I know it's such a blunt, question I'm sorry for it but then what do you do you think I need to get more of Livia in no I just literally wrote rewrote the whole thing I rewrote Adam I had another look at Adam and rewrote it rewrote it so with that awareness that Livia needs to be more yes yeah and because of course he changed massively once Livia was there and and talking about her husband of course (laughs) you know um, through Livia I realized the type of man he was because there was that relationship between them where when it was just about Adam, there was not that relationship. It was very linear. So it was much better once Livia was then giving her story and looking at her husband and saying things about her husband. And I was going, oh, yes, you know, so... What's it like having to rewrite an entire story? Oh, well, I had to, I kept, you know, elements hmm. of it, of course. The timeline was more or less the same. It was just bringing her voice into it. So, but, you know, um, I'm fine with that. You know, if, if you have to rewrite, you have to rewrite. And I don't want to put a book out there that's less than... What I think is almost perfect. It's never perfect, but um, I'm a, I'm a great fan of rewriting. I will ditch work if I think it's not not right. Terrible things do happen, and and it's one of the most. It must be one of the hardest things to have to break terrible news to somebody about you know your husband or your child or somebody in your family. I can't imagine what it must be like, and you know, rather than do it from the point of view of the person that's receiving that news, I've often wondered, what is it like for that person to know that the minute their husband or wife walks through the door, you're going to have to tell them something terrible. And, you know, the the kind of pressure and, yeah, and I, I that's what I wanted to write about. I wanted to write about that. Without spoiling, mm-hmm. when it comes to that moment in the book where... Mm-hmm they have to have the conversation how do you approach that when you've built up to it for such an extent I just I just imagine what it'd be like to be those people I just imagine what it would be like to be him what it would be like to be her what his how he would do it how she would receive it you know all that sort of thing I just I am that person when I'm writing I couldn't do it otherwise which is one thing, one reason why I often write, well, usually I always write, except for my fifth book, in the first person. Mm. Because I find it hard writing in the, in the third person because that detaches me. I'm an observer. I'm, I'm telling what is happening to two people. Whereas when I write in the first person, I am those two people. It's a, it's a voice that very much works in, in these types of stories. You, you know, you said kind of on the verge of psych thriller, really. Mm-hmm. 
do you think that if you were analysing, do you think writing in the first person loses something? It loses. How much does it lose of the overseeing narrator? It's a really interesting question because for me it was just always obvious to write in the first person. And then I had a couple of messages on Twitter saying, why do you always write in the first person? No, I really hate books that are written in the first person. And then one of my daughters actually said, but actually one of my daughters, she said, if I pick up a book and it's written in the first person, I'll just put it down again. It's not your, your daughter. Yours. Yes, yeah. But one of my daughters, she does not like reading but books. But she can say that. She can, of course. Someone random on Twitter sending you a DM. Oh, there's worse. Yes, but that's fine. And actually it was interesting because it, I was really grateful actually when they said that because it had never <laughs> occurred to me that somebody would actually not like reading in the first person or maybe not like reading in third person and it's um i had another message saying they don't like books written in the present they prefer books written in the past so this is interesting because you know i just wrote without actually taking anybody's considerations into account which is how it should be because i should be writing you know first and foremost the story that i want to tell um but it actually made me think for my fifth book and i have actually written it in the past and there's parts of it that are in the third person and that was quite good experimenting with that but I wanted to write the whole lot in the third person, but I couldn't because there's one person's story who, which is the most important and I have to be that person when I'm writing. Aside from the fact that you had to be that person, how else did you find writing in the third person when you have devoted so many words to being that character? Mm -hmm. Then what, what was it like to detach yourself and become the uh, all-seeing, almighty creator? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's very different. It's really different. I'm not sure I've quite got to grips with it yet mm -hmm. because it's just such a an alien way to write for me. Um, but, you know, I want to explore it. And I think as a writer, you always have to push yourself and try new things. And and why not? And uh, obviously, a, a lot of people are very comfortable reading, you know, in the third person rather than the first person. So, you know, that is a consideration as well for me. Now, I do think, you know, especially since my daughter said I never read books written in the first person, except mine, of course. But, you know, I did actually think, gosh, that's, you know, so somebody will actually go into a bookshop, pick up a book that they like the look of, look at the first page. It's written in the first person. No, I'm not reading that. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is interesting. Do you, do you have any, is, it, is there something that you won't read if you pick it up and you no, open the first page? No, not at all. No, I just, no, no. I mean, I've never, it's never actually occurred to me you know, and I've never, if somebody said, is this book written on in the third person or the first person, I wouldn't be able to tell you because I just read them. And it's never, it's never been an issue for me. We're getting into style of writing. How much do you think about the next word that is down on the page? Um, I don't know, not really. I mean, they just, they just come out, don't they? I don't know. I don't really think too much about it. You know, it's, when writing's going well, it flows. But of course, yes, there are times when I'm stuck at the end of a sentence and I don't know what's coming next. Of course, it happens to everybody. You know, writing you know, can be very hard sometimes. But, uh, you know, as I say, I don't think too much. I mean, you know, I usually know where my story's going because it's in my head. So it's not, I'm not really stuck on the next word. I'm going to have to slightly take you away from the dilemma um, <laughs> because you knew so much about it. With the fifth book... Mm -hmm. as yet not announced. Uh, you mentioned earlier on that you do like to know the ending, mm -hmm. although for that one... I didn't. You did, you, I'm kind of getting my head across <laughs> your, no, the, the way that, that your brain works. Um, what was it in that story when you did not know the ending, the final light bulb moment that, that made you think, ah, this is how it's all going to tie together? 
Yeah, I think when I was about three quarters of the way through the book, I kind of thought, yeah, it's not going to be this person. It is actually going to be that person. And in a way, I was quite disappointed. But then, you know, there's also, you know, you don't want your reader particularly to guess. You know, you are trying to, it's not that I'm planting red herrings all over the place, but, you know, the point is it's got to be entertaining for the reader. And you do like them to have that moment when they go, oh, gosh, I thought it was that, but it's not that, it's this. Um and yes, it was, you know, towards the end and it was fine. You know, it just, it, it all knitted in. And actually it was kind of a third person that I hadn't thought about. <laughs> so it actually was, and it was funny. And that came in just at the end. So, you know, that's, that's great. I once spoke to a writer who didn't know who the murderer was uh-huh. until the door was opened three pages yeah. before the end. And I can understand that. And I know there'll be a lot of people say it's not possible, but you know, I think everybody's different. And I do get people who say, I don't believe you don't plot. You know, but I would never say to a plotter, why are you plotting? You know, everybody's different. And, you know, as I say, my plotting is done in my head, I think, before I start writing. So it's not as if I don't plot, it's just there in my head. But I don't write anything down. Uh, and I know that you enjoy the edits, as we've spoken about. When, with the fifth book, uh, and I know you're talking about red herrings and, you know, you want these things to be natural, but how mm. much do you have to go back when you finally figured out who the murderer is? Just to, just to tie it all together and to make sure that the third person hasn't come from absolutely stage left with no warning mm-hmm. whatsoever. No, that, that's that's one thing you do have to be careful of, you know, that you don't just bring in this character that hasn't been in the book at all, you know, <laughs> uh, as the murderer, because I think that would really annoy people. But actually, this, this worked out pretty well, this one. I think it's because I was very relaxed about writing this book. As I say, I thought, I'm going to try writing in the third person. I'm going to write in the past. So it was like, um, you know, just something new for me. And I was very relaxed. I'd... I'd done The Dilemma, which was quite a difficult book for me to write. You know, emotionally, it was quite difficult. Mm. So I just thought, I'm just going to have a ball with this book. So I did. And I just wrote it quite naturally and quite easily. And, you know, I I enjoyed writing and trying these new techniques, which I haven't done before. Whether this will be the end book or not, you know, I might just, um, you know, my agent or editor might say no just write it all in the third person or write it all in the first person or put it in the present which means I'm going to have to go back and that is it for this week's writer's routine thank you so much to uh, Bernadette B.A. Paris for coming on and telling us all about her brand new story The Dilemma as I say it's going great guns online you can pick it up right now I heartily suggest you do so because just the way that she tells this story hour by hour over a day uncovering unraveling this secret as you go is, is really quite a treat to read as a book and quite amazing to study the way that she's told the story. Next week on the show, uh, we're chatting to Lucy Foley. Uh, I imagine you've probably seen and heard all about her phenomenally successful uh, new book. Uh, It's called The Guest List. She wrote The Hunting Party a year or so as well. And yeah, The Guest List is just blowing up all over the place and she'll be telling us all about it next week on Writer's Routine. Before then, if you've enjoyed the show, if you've had learned any tips that have helped the way that you tell your stories, uh, I'd love for you to just drop us what you can over at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. You can leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter. We are at Writer's Pod there. Uh, so much to crack through. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> and if there's anything that you want to say, uh, fire it over to me. It's writersroutine.com. And I will see you next week with Lucy Foley sharing her writer's routine. Bye. <laughs>
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.